0: Global storms are definitely brewing, and one of the key questions for investors right now is whether a global recession is inevitable, as many of us now assume, either because the economy gives in to price pressures, or because central banks are forced to generate one to combat inflation. And a secondary question is how this will impact different regions of the world. So much of the market narrative has been focused on the US and Europe, and perhaps developed markets more broadly, but... I often find myself asking what about emerging markets? Many emerging markets central banks have been ahead of the curve in hiking and rates may be at or near cycle peaks already. Perhaps recession isn't a foregone conclusion across many EM economies and trade and fiscal policies could maybe be supportive for growth. There's also been a tremendous divergence between performance across EM equity markets, bonds and currencies which means there might be significant opportunity for investors. So how should investors look at approaching such diverse investment space? And what are some of the biggest challenges and opportunities? This is Markets in Focus from Raymond James Investment Management. I'm your host, Matt Orton, and I invite you to join me and my colleagues as we discuss the latest trends and developments driving the markets. Visit us at com for additional episodes and insights. Here to help break down the opportunity set across emerging markets, I have David Vaughn, Chief Investment Officer for Non-US and Global Strategies at Clarivest Asset Management, as well as Antonina Tarasiuk. Fixed Income Analyst at Reams Asset Management. Thank you so much for joining today.
1: Great to be here. Great to be here.
0: Great. So let's start very broadly, because I think there's some additional context that's going to be helpful for our discussion. And David, maybe you can start by contextualizing emerging market performance over the past few years, which broadly has been pretty disappointing relative to the US. Why do you think EM equities have been underperforming? And how has this impacted valuations relative to developed market equities?
2: There's no question emerging market returns have lagged US returns. MSCI's EM index has lagged the U.S. index by over 20% since the end of third quarter 2020. Obviously, we can blame some of the EM underperformance on the Russian stocks in the index. If you compute the return to the index with Russia excluded, it's around 2.5% higher. Of course, Russia is no longer part of the EM benchmark. But, looking closer, two key points jump out. First of all, China was a huge drag on the benchmark. It was down more than 30% over this period. If you compute the return to EM with China excluded, then you'll find that the rest of the benchmark lagged the U.S. by less than 5%. Secondly, the strength of the dollar has been a tough headwind for the EM index when measured in dollar terms. Most EM currencies, other than the Mexican peso and Brazilian real, fell against the dollar over the last two years.
0: So, okay, that's great context. And let's bring in Antonina here to follow up on the dollar strength. And, uh, you know, Antonina, why has the dollar been so much stronger than EM currencies? And are there any nuances here that are worth pointing out?
1: U.S. dollar strength has definitely been the theme this year. The strength in dollar itself, though, was not a surprise, given that we were heading into a year where the Fed was supposed to start hiking. The surprise really came from how long it has lasted, and the extent of it. The basket of currencies against the dollar, DXY, is up 18% this year. But besides the more hawkish fad, what has really added to the extent of dollar strength is two things. One, the negative shock in terms of trade in Europe, given higher prices in natural gas market. And two, the slowdown in China, given the continued lockdowns and weakening property sector.
0: Great. I, I like that you're both breaking things down into twos. Very, very clear for, for all of our listeners. And David, let's just round out the question then. And I want to let you respond to the final part of my previous question, which is about EM valuations. You know, how do they look right now, particularly relative to developed markets?
2: With regards to valuation, it's no secret that valuation multiples have contracted sharply over the last two years for both developed and emerging markets. To a large extent, we can pin this on rising global interest rates. Emerging markets now have a forward PE of around 11 versus 15 for MSCI World, despite their strong growth potential. Thus, I believe there is a modest amount of relative value there for EM. This value has a good chance to get unlocked if global interest rates continue to rise, although, of course... It all depends on how things play out.
0: That's great. Thanks, David. And it's interesting to see what a difference there is in valuation, you know, where you pointed out 11 on EM versus 15 for MSCI World. That's that's pretty significant. So... Now that we've set some background, let's touch on something that I know is on all of our minds, which is inflation. And David, looking forward, how do you think inflationary pressures will impact emerging markets broadly? And are there perhaps some regional winners and losers as a result?
2: Higher inflation has a very negative impact on EM households because lower income levels mean elevated food and energy prices have a disproportionately larger effect which can lead to much suffering and unrest, and of course, less consumption. That said, countries that are heavy commodity exporters, such as Brazil and Indonesia, are naturally helped by rising commodity prices. So this acts as an offset.
0: And Antonina, let's build on this theme a little bit. Uh, country profiles clearly matter when it comes to feeling the pressures of inflation, like David pointed out. And I would say there's a record wide divergence in emerging market inflation cycles in terms of trade, which suggests larger differentiation within the asset class. So, where have you been finding opportunity this year, and how is this changing central bank policy across emerging markets continues to evolve?
1: You're right. EM differs significantly across regions. If we take inflation, for example, LATAM has experienced double-digit inflation. For example, Brazil has had inflation over 12%. Asia, on the other hand, has been more contained. China, under 3%. In terms of trade, we see divergence as well. LATAM, mostly commodity exporters, has benefited from higher commodity prices this year. However, Asia, where they're mainly commodity importers, has suffered. As a consequence, central banks have reacted differently. LATAM has been hiking aggressively. Brazil started, for example, their uh, hiking process last March, well ahead of the Fed, from 2% to now 13 and 3 quarters, where they have now paused. Asia, on the other hand, has been lagging in their tightening cycle as they're focusing more on the slowdown in the economy in general. And this is reflected in their assets. In LATEM, Brazil is still up year-to-date above 6%, uh, while in Asia, for example, if we take Korea, who is highly dependent on China, is down almost 15% this year.
0: And how do you see that evolving? I know you, you said, Antonina, that, you know, Brazil's likely, you know, done. But um, do you see, you know, central banks still holding off in Asia or do you think that might change?
1: I think the central banks in Asia are definitely catching up. If we focus specifically on the EM world, they're highly dependent. A lot of those economies are highly dependent, like Korea or Taiwan, on China. So it'll depend on when do we see the recovery there. I think China plans to reopen in the first half of 2023, and that will boost uh, domestic consumption and will help the economies close to them, the ones that depend on China as well. So they're going to lag. They're going to lag the DM world that's already hiking aggressively, and they're definitely lagging LATAM, but they're there.
0: Great. Thanks, Antonina. And um, let's think about the effect of the U.S. tightening cycle as well. And David, maybe you can talk about what effect that the U.S. tightening cycle might have on emerging market equities.
2: A key concern that comes up when U.S. rates start to rise is, to what extent might they cause capital outflows from emerging markets? An example of this is what we saw with the taper tantrum of the so-called Fragile Five countries in 2013. The Fragile Five countries are Brazil, India, Indonesia, South Africa, and Turkey. In general, countries that have large current account deficits require foreign capital inflows to finance those deficits. Back in 2013, yields rose sharply in the U.S. as the Fed signaled an earlier than anticipated exit to quantitative easing. As a result, the Fragile Five countries fell sharply as investors anticipated that higher U.S. rates would divert foreign capital from those markets. However, Today's situation is somewhat different. These countries now have much lower current account deficits. In fact, four out of five of the Fragile Five markets have outperformed the U.S. over the last two years. India is a big star in this group. It has become the second largest country in the MSCI index by weight, surpassing Taiwan and Korea. It has recently had the fastest economic growth in the world and has overtaken the U.K. to become the fifth largest economy in the world.
0: Let's talk about India a little bit more. It's fascinating when we talked about divergences earlier between EMs, India has really, really stood out. It's been such an outperformer within the EM complex this year. And Antonina, maybe you can share any thoughts on perhaps why India has been such a standout and has the rupee performed in line with expectations or has, has it been a tailwind or a headwind for its economy?
1: Absolutely. India has been very interesting to us because of two reasons. One, it is actually not tied to China growth as one would think. Their exports are three times more to the US than China. And two, if we look at their currency in specific, it has been the best risk-adjusted carry, which is the rate differential to the realized vol of all currencies, better than LATAM even, like Mexico or Brazil. And this has built a strong case for India.
0: And Antonia, I'm also curious to get your thoughts on what I'd say is a pretty daunting task in front of EM policymakers to ensure that inflation comes down and how that impacts investment opportunities. Uh, Some central banks have been aggressive rate hikers, like you talked about Brazil earlier. So what has been working and what hasn't? And how have you looked to position around that?
1: Yeah, when we decide on positioning, we really rely on our framework. So um, two things here. One, the valuation of the currency is extremely important and it's hard to do. So we use models like real exchange rate or purchasing power parity. But the thing with, with currencies is that they can stay over or undervalued for long periods of time. So we have to look at market fundamentals and we have to use tactical tools like equity momentum, for example. So relying on this framework, our biggest thematic international position this year has been in Latin America, in specific Brazil, Colombia, and Mexico. And primary drivers in this sector, we already talked about some, but I'll go over them. First, like I said, valuation is very important. All these currencies came historically cheap into this year. The reason behind it was the pandemic and the lagging in recovery from these economies. Two, you already talked about it, is the credible central banks. They were determined to fight inflation. I I had mentioned earlier, and you did as well, about Brazil. Brazil started hiking in March 2021 and went from 2% to 13 and three quarters, where they are now. Three is we can't go and talk about LATAM without mentioning the high carry they have. And Brazil is the highest carry, but on vol-adjusted basis, Mexican peso actually holds the best vol-adjusted carry. And third is the improving terms of trade. Obviously, the higher commodity prices have benefited all the exporters, which most of Latin American countries are. So we saw really strong performance during the first quarter of this year. Brazil appreciated over 17 percent, Colombia about 8, Mexico about 3 percent, And year to date, if we don't take into account the ruble, the Russian ruble, Brazil is actually the best performing currency this year.
0: Which is very, very interesting, considering what's happening uh, around the world. And, you know, you mentioned exporters, which puts China on my mind. So, so David, I want to make sure we circle back to China, since it is such a large part of the emerging market equity universe. And it's not a region that you shy away from, despite the many challenges. So... Maybe you can help shed some light on why the Chinese equity market has been struggling so much lately. Is it all just related to the zero COVID policies?
2: China initially recovered faster than the rest of the world from the pandemic in 2020. Unfortunately for them, the vaccines they utilize have proven less effective than those used in the West. Their strict zero COVID policy has led to a number of restrictions and lockdowns and has hurt the growth substantially. Furthermore, some of their companies, particularly in the tech sector, have faced very heavy regulatory headwinds. While there's some signs that these pressures are letting up, China is now facing a property crisis, and home prices there have fallen for the last 12 months in a row. Home buyers with incomplete properties that they are paying mortgages for have started to protest, and in some cases have refused to pay their mortgages. This has led to fears that bad debt levels are rising in China. At the end of the day, though, China has shown time and time again that they have both the skill and resolve to work through the economic challenges that they face. A perma bet against the Chinese equity market is probably a big mistake. As an example of this, one of the largest property developers recently restarted almost all of their halted projects, presumably with help from the government.
0: Perfect. Thanks for the color. And, you know, I want to transition a little bit as well and talk about the U.S. dollar because it has been front and center this year with a lot of increased volatility. It certainly had implications on emerging markets. Antonina, what are your thoughts on the dollar going forward? And do you expect the next big trade is further dollar strength or do you see potential weakness?
1: I think that is the question of the year. (laughs) For the dollar to peak, we have to see really three things here. Inflation in the US needs to peak, two is China's economy slowdown needs to bottom out, and three, European natural gas market needs to stabilize. I think we're close for for the inflation to peaking in the US, however, I think we're further away from China bottoming out and European natural gas market to stabilizing. In China, as I mentioned before, the reopening of China is expected at the beginning of next year. So we have some time to, to hold for, for their domestic demand to really pick up. In terms of Europe, on the positive note, the storage levels are a target, which is great. However, heading into winter, there are really just a lot of uncertainty around weather in Europe, which we can't forecast perfectly at this point, and then flows in Russia, everyone thought that Nord Stream one would stay at 20 percent, and here we are with no flows going forward. So I think the next big move will be an adjustment in the dollar. However, we have to wait for it.
0: Perfect. Well, you know maybe this will be the one winter where we hope some of the global warming trends will will, will benefit the world uh, to help Europe out a little bit and not have a freezing cold winter. But we are coming up against the clock, so I want to get both of your thoughts uh, on the top opportunities and the biggest risks in emerging markets, equities, and currencies heading into the end of the year. So, David, I'm going to let you start, and then I'll give the final word to Antonina.
2: As Yogi Berra said, it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future, but I'll try I believe the biggest upside scenario is that China works through the COVID lockdown and property crisis issues and goes through a similar economic recovery to what many other countries have had after their lockdowns ended. This would bolster China as well as its trading partners, help fix supply chain issues, and would likely generate a lot of excitement about emerging market equities as an asset class, given China's huge weight and influence in the index. On the other hand, the biggest risk as I see it relates to a slowdown in other parts of the world, such as in Europe due to an energy crisis this winter, or in the U.S. because of the aggressive interest rate hikes that are happening. A material slowdown in growth could cause investors to dump risk assets like emerging market stocks, even if the direct effect on emerging market economies was not so large. At that point, though, emerging market stocks would likely represent an even better buying opportunity.
0: And Antonina, I'll give you the final word.
1: Well, we talked a lot about the dollar. And as we wait for U.S. dollar to peak, I think there will be some adjustments going into 2023. There are some criteria that we can look at. First, central bank action. Fed has been crystal clear of what they're going to do. They're going to hike rates. They're going to keep them high for longer. And the economy will feel some pain. And while we wait for this to happen, the markets are already pricing this in. If we look for central banks in EM in general, they have been aggressive and hiking ahead of the Fed, like the LATAM central banks, and carry opportunities are still there. Then we have terms of trade. I believe that commodity prices will remain high. I know they have adjusted lower already, but they remain at high levels. This means that exporters will continue to benefit from this. I would be cautious with the Eastern European economies in general, given the negative shock in terms of trade and the impact that we'll have going forward on growth. I would also be cautious with Asian economies in specific those that depend highly on China. As we see, China will bottom out eventually, but I don't think we're there yet.
0: All right. Well, perfect. That's the final word. Well, Antonina, David, thank you both so much for your time and insights today. I really appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners really appreciate it. And uh, until next time, take care.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Markets in Focus from Raymond James Investment Management. You can find additional episodes and market insights at marketsandfocuspodcast.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, I'm Matt Orton.
3: Podcasts are for informational purposes only. This channel is not monitored by Raymond James Investment Management. Please visit marketsandfocuspodcast.com for additional disclosure. This material is a general communication being provided for information purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction. Nor is it a commitment from Raymond James Investment Management or any of its affiliates to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and you should not rely on it in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications, and make their own determinations together with their own professionals in those fields. Any forecasts, figures, opinions or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yield are not reliable indicators of current and future results. Past performance does not guarantee or indicate future results. There is no guarantee that these investment strategies will work under all market conditions, and each investor should evaluate their ability to invest for the long term, especially during periods of downturn in the market. Investing involves risk and may incur a profit or loss. Investment returns and principal value will fluctuate, so that an investor's portfolio, when redeemed, may be worth more or less than their original cost. Diversification does not ensure a profit or guarantee against loss.